Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 56, Mount Stewart. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you listening today. I don't know where you are around the world. I have been hearing from more and more of you from distant places, so the podcast is getting out there. I've been learning about podcast platforms and how people are listening and where they are listening, and uh, I have learned, uh, thank you for uh, contacting me, by the way, Um, I've learned that it's more than just kind of straight, hardcore geology fans who are consuming the podcast, this audio stuff. I've been surprised to learn about artists in the UK and uh, stay-at-home parents uh, doing chores around the house in uh, the Mideast and uh, Japan and on and on and on. So, uh, you know, this this continues to be a marvel of technology where I can sit in my basement here next to the uh, litter box with the uh, family cat and uh, talk into a microphone for half an hour about a few geology thoughts and have it immediately go to your phone all over the world or your laptop or whatever else long haul truckers listening etc it 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 uh, it's it's wonderful so just wanted to acknowledge that a bunch of people have been uh following through on contacting me about how they're using the podcast and that certainly is motivation to continue there is somebody out there it turns out that's wonderful Another quick preamble, and then we'll get to our topic called Mount Stewart. Uh, It's the first week of 2021, and school is back in session here in Ellensburg, Washington. Uh, My wife teaches science at the high school uh, just a few blocks away, and a few blocks away in the other direction is Central Washington University, and that's where I teach. And uh, the state of Washington here in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. has been doing well currently with uh, virus numbers compared to other places in the world. Uh, There's no guarantee, of course, that will continue. But uh, for now, uh, things are um, about as positive as can be expected. Wrong Wrong phrase there. Uh, we're doing okay here, and so we are meeting face-to-face with some of our students. My wife uh, has uh, a hybrid model, like much of the high school, where some of the kids are online, but most come in two days a week, and then she has the other group, etc. And for me, uh, our winter quarter began on Tuesday, and here it is Wednesday evening, and... um, we are doing face-to-face, but that's going to start at week three. And just a few of us are doing face-to-face. Most everybody else who teaches at the university chooses to uh, make it 100% online. But a few of us really want to uh, teach in person. And you may recall I did that fall quarter with 40 students in an auditorium that holds 120 so everybody spread out pretty well, and we got face masks and everything, and it, it's, it, it, it was a really memorable, positive experience. 
and uh, we're going to try that again uh, this winter. The twist is the first two weeks is online for everybody, including me, and I decided to broadcast the live streams on the YouTube channel. So you've, I'm sure you're sick of hearing me talk about live streams because I was live streaming like crazy from home here. Uh, the new information is I'm I'm live streaming live streaming my geology 101 class, and I'm kind of keeping a low profile about it. Um, but I have had a standing agreement with the university president and a few other um, upper level people that it's okay if I have people from town sitting in on my class for free and nothing and not doing anything official, not auditing or anything like that officially, just kind of dropping in when they felt like it. So because of this YouTube channel that I have, uh, I'm just continuing that policy, but you know, with a slight twist that people aren't physically dropping in to sit in on the class. Uh, they're checking in on their computers on YouTube or phones or whatever. So the first day of class was yesterday, and there were a thousand people, a thousand people from around the world watching live. And uh, there have been about uh, 8,000 that have watched a replay of the first day. So I, I didn't dream it would be that popular right from the start. I don't know how quickly that will expand. But, uh, you know, folks in the UK, for instance, are sounds like are completely locked down again and perhaps where you are as well if you're not in the UK so um, maybe that maybe the timing of this is a big part of it but uh, anyway if you're interested uh, my YouTube channel if you haven't found it yet it's just called Nick Sentner and uh, you'll start seeing Geology 101 live streams and you're welcome to join us live or join us in replay whatever uh, we'll we'll have a, a live class tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific, and we'll go from there. Okay, so the topic today is exotic terrains. Uh, if you are regular with the uh, audio podcast here, I've been kind of trying to catch up with where I w was a uh, couple months ago with the live streams I was doing from home. And I'm still very pleased with what happened. I have a nice fond feeling of what we accomplished, not only uh, presenting the material, but so much of it was brand new to me. It was a real uh, high wire act of uh, promising I'd deliver stuff and then cramming for day after day to get ready for that. So let's see how much I remember. Last time we were talking, uh, we were discussing the Straight Creek Fault. Do you recall? the Straight Creek Fault, which is a strike-slip fault through the North Cascades of Washington and continuing across the border into Canada. They call it the Fraser Fault up there. Same thing. And it's a right lateral offset with a total uh, of 100 miles of offset on the west side of the fault compared to the east side of the fault. And that doesn't mean there was one big earthquake. That means there were thousands of earthquakes, probably uh, roughly 20 feet at a time, each earthquake on the Straight Creek Fault um, between 50 and 35 million years ago. Okay, that was a quick recall of last time. Uh, today, we are firmly on the east side of the Straight Creek Fault, and we will stay on the east side of the Straight Creek Fault for a few episodes now. And uh, so where are we east of the Straight Creek Fault? Well, we're, we're very close to my house. Uh, 
we're, we're just north of the Kittitas Valley. So you might have to Google this at some point. I actually heard from one guy who said, I, I've never even bothered to look you up. I don't know what you look like. I've never heard uh, you. Or I've never seen you on a video, but I, I enjoy the, the audio stuff. I'm, I'm just too busy to sit and look at stuff. So I'm just thinking of that guy because he's not going to have time to Google uh, Ellensburg, Washington or the Kittitas Valley or the Stewart Range or Mount Stewart or the Alpine Lakes Wilderness. But uh, for those that do have the curiosity, uh, we have the fortune of having a, a majestic mountain range visible just to the north of our town. And if it's a nice clear day, you can see that jagged mountain range, that sawtooth-like profile on the northern margin of our horizon, and it is an inspiration. And I'm sure that I've mentioned to you before that the Stewart Range has always brought back a, a mix of emotions for me. Uh, of course, joy to see that every morning, and also a nagging feel of, of a feeling of never really looking carefully into the exotic terrain history. Well, I have made major leap forwards, and we're going to focus on what I know currently about the Stewart Range. Here's the headline. For years, I have talked about Mount Stewart and the Stewart Range in the context of exotic terrains. And really kind of implying, I don't think I actually said it, but I implied that Mount Stewart came from somewhere else. Mount Stewart is made out of granite, and the granite is, I've always just used one number, 93 million years old, but technically it's 96 to 91 million years old. It's a pluton. It's a large batch of magma. It's technically called a batholith, but I think that's a little ambitious. It's not that big. It's not like the Sierra Nevada batholith or the Idaho batholith or maybe a batholith near you. Um, but we do have a large volume of plutonic igneous rock to the north of Ellensburg. It's uh, on the way to Leavenworth, a little uh, resort community in central Washington. Not Leavenworth Prison. Okay, I get that a lot. <laughs> Folks here know Leavenworth as a, a kind of place where you have beautiful Christmas lights and Bavarian-themed whatever, and so you go up there and eat a bratwurst and buy some taffy and uh, have a great old time. So that's the, that's the area I'm talking about. But there were, major message, uh, med uh, there were major things to learn. Number one, it's not just 93, it's 96 to 91. Number two, it's not just granite. It's technically a real incredible range of chemistries, all the way from very dark-colored granite called gabbro into true diorites, into some granodiorites, and there's even some true granites in that scene, some tonalites, etc. So it's, it's a mixture of uh, petrology uh, um, chemistries up there. And I don't normally pay much attention to it, and I'm not really going to pay much more attention to it right now. But here's the headline. Mount Stewart is not really exotic. It appears that not only Mount Stewart, but an incredible number of plutons, and again, I'm going to use that word probably a fair amount today. Plutons are these large volumes of magma, liquid blobs of magma that cooled slowly underground, okay? And uh, most associate those plutons with subduction of some sort, although there is a radical new idea to explain those involving slab failure, but I'll, 
I'll maybe save that for a separate episode. My point is, it's looking like those major plutons, Mount Stewart, up through northern Washington, running all the way up through British Columbia, there's an amazing amount of plutonic material between roughly 110 and 85 million years old. So Mount Stewart is not alone. That's the main event to me. And the fact that it doesn't look like that plutonic material traveled across the Pacific Ocean or as somebody else's pluton and then got added on to ours. It looks like it's pretty much homegrown. Now you're like, I don't, wait a minute, I thought you've talked about Mount Stewart before. I have. Didn't you talk about Baja BC and the fact that these blocks of crust are moving north more than a thousand miles during a very specific time window? Yes, I did. But even with that concept of Baja BC, and we'll save that for another episode. I can't remember how much I've done with you here in this series, I, I might add. But in the live stream series, I saved it till the end. Session Y. Even though we're moving, and there's good evidence now that that, that uh, plutonic material, including Mount Stewart, moved north more than 1,000 miles, it's still moving within the North American framework. In other words, it's me- okay, so the stuff's Mexican, and now it's northern Washington and uh, Canadian. Fine. It's still North American, is my point. It's not plutonic material that is uh, an oceanic story. And that is in sharp contrast to pretty much everything else in the North Cascades. So I'm going to say this again because I think I finally have stumbled onto what I think the main theme of this episode is. You know that I don't prep much for these things. And and that's on purpose so that I can be spontaneous, so I can kind of uh, have some of the major themes bubble up just kind of by themselves and not have me think a whole lot ahead of time. The main theme is this. Mount Stewart is part of the exotic terrain story, but it's really a pluton that it invaded true oceanic exotic material. And I never had that in my head until this fall. I was excited to finally put that together in my mind. So let me be mis... mis, mis wow. Hey, it's the first time I've done a live stream uh, after supper. <laughs> I usually do them first thing in the morning, so maybe this is a mistake. I don't feel like my mouth is working as well as it could today, tonight, this evening, whatever. Let me be more specific. Mount Stewart is invading from below exotic terrain material that's already there. And there are two separate exotic terrains that the Mount Stewart magmas are invading. So this is a very simple relative age-dating story, first of all. Uh, you're some granite? Fine. You used to be liquid? That's right. You're liquid that, that invaded some crust from below? Sure. Well, that, by definition, means you're younger than the crust, right? The crust was there first, and then you invaded the crust from below. Good. Well, if you look carefully at the field relations between Ellensburg and Leavenworth in central Washington... There's two separate exotic terrains that are invaded 
collectively by the Stuart Pluton. In other words, 96 million years ago, when we start to make this batch of liquid magma, we start to form this Mount Stuart Pluton. We have two exotic terrains that are already here. The Ingalls exotic terrain, I-N-G-A-L-L-S, and the Chihuacum, C-H-I-W-A-U-K-U-M. The Ingalls and the Chihuacum. Locally here, those are two very well-known names. And if you're a geology fan locally in central Washington, you know those names as well. The Ingalls is most famously a bunch of green rocks, serpentinite, sheeted dikes, peridotite, some other stuff I don't know that much about. There's some argillites in there. Collectively, it's an ophiolite. Have you heard of an ophiolite before? O-P-H-I-O-L-I-T-E, an ophiolite. Basically, an ophiolite is a suite of deep ocean crust rocks that are forming pretty much in a spreading environment, an extensional environment. The sheeted dikes are coming up. There's big, big, big. Uh, um, so we're we're in a deep ocean now. I'm, I'm I'm away from Mount Stewart for just a second. Daddy's getting excited now. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, Patrick. If we have some kind of extensional situation in an ocean basin, we're going to crack the crust open, basalt typically. We're going to have a bunch of new magmas invading those cracks. Those are the sheeted dikes. There's probably some deep ocean sediment nearby, some deep sea sands and muds. some cherts. There's some pillow basalts because the basalt that's erupting at the extensional environment in the deep ocean is being cooled quickly. It's being quenched by the ocean water. So all that stuff together, the deep ocean sediments, the ophiolite, the sheeted dikes, the serpentinite, which is also kind of fractured deep ocean material, and the chert. Collectively, that's called an ophiolite. And for, I don't know, 50 years or more, ophiolites were usually associated with a spreading ridge, some sort of mid-Atlantic ridge type or East Pacific rise type spreading ridge where we're creating new plate crust. But there's a new concept to kind of a fashionable new way to explain ophiolites that, uh, what's it called, supra, supra subduction? Yeah, you might have to Google. Sorry, you might have to Google that one. I, I'm not even sure I remember what that is, but it's basically it's a mechanical problem because if we're really truly saying ophiolites, I'm talking about the Ingalls exotic terrain now, which is one of the two exotic terrains that are invaded by the Stuart Granite starting 96 million years ago. You with me? That deep ocean Ingalls was in the frickin' deep ocean, man. What the hell is it doing at 6,000 feet elevation in central Washington? How do you physically explain, this is me talking now, how do you physically explain taking stuff in the deep ocean, getting it out of the ocean somehow, lifting it 6,000 feet elevation, and also getting it to central Washington? That's a, that's a Herculean feat, if that's a, what, did I say that right? That's a major feat. 
and there are mechanical problems in doing that. So this supra-subduction story is kind of a different angle with the whole thing. It involves the concept we were talking about a couple days, a couple sessions ago with Karin Siglock, if you remember, and there was, are we westward subduction or are we eastward subduction? And I don't think I'm up to the challenge, actually, of trying to mentally put that together for you. I, I do apologize. I thought maybe I could swing it, but I, I'm not remembering a couple of the details that I need. So let's leave it alone for right now. My point is we have this deep ocean crust, whether it's at a spreading ridge or some other kind of, uh, kind of a parallel universe down there, but we're creating these rocks during the Jurassic period, which means uh, this, this original deep ocean material is of the Ingalls is roughly between 100 and, excuse me, between 200 and about 150 million years old. And much of that ophiolite material, the Ingalls ophiolite, is specifically at 162, 162 million years old. And then that stuff gets metamorphosed much younger. After 80 million years ago, this stuff gets metamorphosed. But that's really not our topic right now. Our topic is the fact that we have the Ingalls, which is Jurassic, and the Chewakum, which is mostly schist. Schist is a metamorphic rock that's foliated, but it has minerals big enough to see. So the Chewakum is a beautiful rock. You can see the arrangement of the minerals. The minerals are big enough to see, as I just said. There's some absolutely beautiful-looking garnet. You, you can picture a garnet, can't you? A garnet crystal? These little dodecahedral little dudes of different sizes. They're common. Like, if you can get yourself to the Chewakum, if you can read a geologic map and, and drive up the Icicle Creek... Um, drainage going right through the Mount Stewart Basilisk, leaving Leavenworth. So get your bratwurst, get your uh, stein of beer, uh, sit in the passenger seat, <laughs> and you eventually get up that icicle creek far enough that you're out of the Mount Stewart granite, which I still haven't talked about yet as far as the field relations are concerned, but you can get into that Chewakum schist. And there's some beautiful garnets to, to collect. I shot a video up there this summer. Well, I shot two. I shot one in the Ingalls. I shot one in the Chewakum. Nick on the Fly, they're called. The little, little, um, well, they, they were supposed to be short, but they ended up being an hour, of course, each of them. But that's also on my YouTube channel if you want to see some of this rock firsthand. It was kind of fun to put those together. I was following some field guides, but the Ingalls is there. The Chewakum is there. They are both truly exotic because that, that schist of the Chewakum was originally deep ocean sediment, as opposed to an ophiolite. It wasn't the actual ocean floor or even parts of the mantle that leaked up through the ocean floor. No, the Chewakum schist is, is, is just the, the deep ocean sediment, the muds and the sands that collected in the deep ocean. And then again, we metamorphose that stuff to have it become a schist, and it's on display in the Central Cascades. Okay, here's what I'm really leading to. There is a structural geology relationship between the Ingalls, which is just think green rocks, if you like, 
and the Chihuacum, which you can think of more as like, I don't know, zebra stripey things with uh, beautiful ruby red uh, jewels in them, okay? It's like Christmas time. There's green and there's kind of these ruby red things. Ingles, green, Chihuacum, ruby red in a uh, gray zebra matrix. The relationship between those two, which I didn't know till this fall, is a major thrust fault called the Windy Past Thrust Fault. And even pros of Central Washington geology will go, I've never heard of that. Windy Past Thrust Fault, where the hell is that? And the answer is it's barely there. There's only just a few places to actually see the Windy Past Thrust which is where the Ingalls exotic terrain was thrust up onto the Chihuacum exotic terrain. You have Ingalls ophiolite structurally in contact with the Chihuacum schist along a thrust fault. And your, your, your experience now with this podcast, you remember what a thrust fault is. It's a fault of a, a very specific geometry. It's a low angle. It's a fault that's not a steep crack, not going down almost 90 degrees, but it's a, it's a low angle. I'm doing it with my hand now. I'm making my hand almost flat. My hand in space right now hovering in front of my face is not perfectly flat, but it's slanting a little bit. It's slanting between zero, which is my flat hand, and about 45 degrees, which of course is halfway to a vertical hand. You following me? So a thrust fault has an angle that is between, well, it's a low angle fault. You can do it. Let's just picture a 30 degree fault away from horizontal. And if it's a thrust fault, that means that the hanging wall, you're going to have to use a past episode to figure this out now. But that means the hanging wall is being moved up compared to the foot wall. And the ingles is the hanging wall, and the chihuacum is the foot wall. The reason even well-versed geology people in central Washington, including moi, that's French, inside joke, is because the windy pass thrust is mostly gone. And you're like, what do you mean it's gone? I thought it was a major boundary between two exotic terrains. It was... But guess why most of the Windy Pass thrust is gone? It was invaded from below by the magma of Mount Stewart. So, before, right now, if you were visualizing magma invading crust from below, so was I. But now we're adding the fact that we had more than one type of crust in the region. Green crust to the south, zebra with, uh, what did I say? Jewels to the north. So in other words, the Windy Pass thrust dips to the south. I don't know if you can visualize this now, but the green rocks in the south near Ellensburg that, are be, that, were, that were, past tense, were being um, um, thrust to the north. I'm hesitating because we don't actually know the orientation of the fault when it was active, so skip that. 
But the major point I'm leading to is that when it's time for 96 million years ago, and it's time for those liquid blobs to invade from below with my obscene gesture with my hand, also in the air in front of my face. Oh, this is really getting X-rated. We're not only going to invade the crust, we're going to invade the frickin' fault. We're going to swallow up the fault. We're going to melt the fault as well as the rock on both sides of the fault. And so what we're left with are just a few little places, a few places in the mountains where we don't have Stuart granite, and we do have those two exotic terrains that were thrust into contact with each other. My God, thrust? This whole thing sexual. That's the furnace, if you can hear it. So, I've used the number 96 a fair amount. That's a key number in this episode. What's 96 million years ago? The beginning of the invasion of the liquid blobs that ultimately became the Mount Stewart Pluton. That means that we made our two oceanic terrains, the Ingalls Ophiolite and the Chewakam Schist, before 96 million years ago. We not only made those two exotic terrains, but we put them in contact with each other by thrusting the green rocks up and over the zebra pink stuff. Now the last comment to say is that thrusting appears to be associated with a major event. And if you did actually see the live streams this fall, uh, I wasn't planning on it initially, but pretty much all through November and December, we just kept coming back to the main event 100 million years ago. In fact, I probably have talked about the main event recently in this audio podcast series. I'm sorry if I can't remember. I guess if I can't remember, you must. You probably can't remember either. But this business about 100 million years ago keeps coming up. And guess when most of this thrusting is happening? A frickin' hundred million years ago, man. Woman. What was going on along the margin of North America a hundred million years ago to have many, maybe most, of these thrust faults active, making earthquakes, and basically juxtaposing pieces of crust that have no business being next to each other? I know I was talking about it because, what was it, two episodes ago I was talking about the San Juan Islands, right? And those, those, those uh, naps, those thrust stacks, that was roughly 100 million years as well. Maybe I had some different numbers there, but they were in the neighborhood. Same thing with the Windy Pass thrust. But my point with this episode is that the thrusting is... <laughs> oh, Lord... The activity on the thrust faults is done by 96 million years ago, at least locally, because we have no place where the Mount Stewart granite has been broken by faulting, by thrust faulting. So, I'll toss in a couple final thoughts and we'll quit. As you look north from my backyard... There's the mountain range. Well, what do you see? Do you see the Ingalls? Not really. The Ingalls is on the 
south side of the Stuarts. The green rocks are there. They're in the they're in the foreground. They're in the foothills essentially. If you happen to know the area, I'm talking about Ingalls Lake and Earl Peak and places like that. And you're like, well, I've been to Ingalls Lake. It's not green. Well, have you looked carefully? Have you seen a bunch of really weird-looking orange bedrock? Yeah, I have. That's the Ingalls, man. There's so much iron in that serpentinite. There's so much iron in that ophiolite. The originally 162-million-year-old ophiolite of the Ingalls. That that iron weathers to a rusty orange. But if you look carefully, you'll see all the green rock. The freshest green, the weathered, is a deep orange. So that's our side of the Stuarts, the green rock. The back side of the Stuarts, the north side of the Stuarts, over on the Leavenworth side, that's where the Chihuacum is. And there's a lot of Chihuacum schist up in that country. Go up to Lake Wenatchee, that's also another place you'll find a bunch of that Chihuacum schist. But what's between the two? The Windy Pass Thrust. But what's also between the two? The invasion of the Mount Stewart Pluton. And a little unclear to me is why is the Pluton material so much higher topographically than the other two? And you can you can make some kind of weird uh, relation there, you know, like, well, you know, it's probably like harder and, you know, it's harder to erode, you know, Mother Nature and uh, erosion and it happened 96 million years ago, man. You know, a lot has gone down in the last 90 million years. It's difficult to just talk about that invasion of plutonic material explaining the topography. There's a much more recent story, a much more recent kind of structural story that I don't really understand. I'm not sure anybody really does, but I think there are some ideas that have some merit that I I don't have at the moment for you. But all I'm trying to say is that the Stewart Range is a beautiful mountain range. If you do have a computer nearby, Google it, Mount Stewart Range, Mount Stewart, whatever, you'll see it. It's gorgeous. We can be hiking up there within an hour and a half of our backyard, and we don't take it for granted. No, I'm not going to do a dad joke there. But the news to me, and perhaps to you, is that there's more than the granite story up there. There are the exotic terrains to the north and south, separated by a windy pass thrust, that help us put more of the exotic terrain story. And the last thing I'll say, Mount Stewart granite, not exotic to North America. It's North American plutonic material. That part is, that, that, whoa. That part is, is for sure. It's North American. It didn't come from somewhere else. But the two exotic terrains that the Mount Stewart pluton invaded, now those are exotic. Deep ocean. Exotic. No longer in the deep ocean, for sure. I think next time we'll just continue in what's known as the crystalline core of the North Cascades. And I'll have to, I don't know, have a shot of something before I do that one because uh, 
out of all the live streams last fall, it's those topics of the Skagit Nice. It's mainly the Skagit Nice that I just never did figure out. And I admitted it to the live stream audience, and I still don't really get it. But I'll tell you, I'll share with you at least what I think I know about the Skagit Nice uh, and the Nason Ridge Nice and a couple other uh, units up there. And we'll just continue to work our way through some of this exciting, complicated, exotic terrain material here at the pod. Thank you, dear listener. I appreciate you tuning in today. Hope that things are going as best as can be expected for you, wherever you are, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, I love you, and goodbye.